At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we kick off the new year, we invite you to tune into our current series, The Forgotten Virtue, Learning to Love Again, where we'll discover how God defines love, Christ personifies love, and the Spirit empowers us to love one another. Together, we'll experience healing and hope in the love God designed for us, a love we carry through every season of life. I'm grateful to be able to share with you from God's word as well. We're going to continue in our sermon series in the letter of 1 John. So if you have a Bible and want to follow along, turn all the way to the end, the book of Revelation, then just a few books leftward and you'll hit 1 John. We're going to be in chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. So 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, um, the apostle John, Jesus' beloved disciple, one of the three on Jesus' inner circle throughout his ministry, John is now commissioned out from Jerusalem to help plant and pastor churches throughout the Middle East. It's been several decades now into his ministry. He's writing back to these churches to encourage them, to instruct them, because there's been many temptations to leave the way of Jesus. There's been many temptations to change the way of Jesus. And so the Apostle John, as one of the original 12, is now writing back to the churches and saying, don't do it. This is the way of Christ. This is how to stay faithful. This is the truth. I want you to stay in fellowship with us because our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So that's his purpose. And we're still doing the same thing right now as we read this and we try to understand is conform more and more to the way of Christ and what he handed down to his apostles and now what's been handed down to us through the sacred scriptures. So let's dive in. First John chapter five, verses one through five. Brothers and sisters, hear the words of our God. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of the Father. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Last year, the coronavirus swept through our world, bringing music tours to a halt, closing down restaurants, suspending sports leagues, every industry, every institution, every family, ultimately every individual was affected to one degree or another. And yet, all of the disruptions and delays and cancellations that COVID brought to the world, there was at least one thing that continued to happen unaffected by the virus. There was one thing that kept happening as if COVID had never appeared. Babies were born when they were ready to be born. 
Babies did not stay in the womb one week longer or one week shorter because of COVID. Birth is that powerful. The strongest nations on earth were brought to their knees. Ancient traditions like the Olympics were put on hold. Booming economies were shut down, but babies at full term made their entrance without obstacle. That's how powerful birth is. And yet, there's something even more powerful than physical birth, and that is what the Bible calls the new birth. And what is the new birth? Well, what we mean when we say we've been born again or born anew, here's what we mean. The new birth is the birth that the Spirit of God brings through the gospel to a person, birthing them into God's family and giving them spiritual life. You see, because the Bible teaches that our sin doesn't simply make us bad people. Our sin makes us dead people. Our sin doesn't just make us guilty before God. Our sin makes us dead to God. We're spiritually lifeless. We're spiritually unresponsive. We're unable to perceive the truth of God, unable to obey the word of God. And so God in his mercy, by the power of the Spirit, through the proclamation of the gospel, brings us to life, births us again. He powerfully, unstoppably gives us new birth. And when that happens, we go from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive. We go from being under the power of sin to being under the power of the Spirit. We go from being children of the devil to being children of God. The new birth makes you a child of God. The powerful, unstoppable new birth makes you a child of God. But here's the thing. How do we know if someone has experienced the new birth? How do we know if we ourselves are born again? Because you see, if you look at a mass of people, you can't tell who's born again and who's not because the new birth is a spiritual reality. And yet still, if we look closer, it is possible to know if someone has been born by the Spirit in the same way that you can know when a baby has been born. They move, they breathe, they cry. In the case of our son Charlie, he screamed like red face, angry yelling. At some point, a cry becomes a scream, and he crossed that line right when he came out. And we knew he is alive. He is very alive. So how can we know if someone is spiritually alive? How can we know if someone has been born of God? Well, let's look at this. John lays out three realities that will be true of you if you've experienced the new birth. The first thing he gives us as evidence that we've been born of God is that we believe that Jesus is the Christ. If you've been born of God, you believe in Jesus. So look at verse one again. John writes, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ 
has been born of God. So this verse is helpfully clear, isn't it? Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. In other words, everyone who believes that Jesus is the promised Savior, everyone who's in that category of believer has been born again. This is the most basic evidence that someone has experienced the new birth. That person has put their faith and trust in Jesus as the promised Messiah or Christ. Now, one place we can get tripped up, though, is that word believe. Because there's many people, especially in a more conservative, traditionally-minded area like Lapeer County, there are many people who will happily, without hesitation, say, yeah, I believe Jesus is the Christ. They won't think twice about ticking the box on a religious survey that asks if they believe Jesus is the Christ, and yet this supposed belief in Jesus as the Christ changes nothing about the rest of their lives. Yeah, they believe Jesus is the Christ, but this changes nothing about how they relate to sin. It changes nothing about how they relate to their money, nothing about their relationships or their priorities in life. So we can say that their belief in Christ is simply mental assent. That is, they mentally or cognitively agree that Jesus is the Christ, but their hearts and their lives remain unchanged by this belief. I know this can happen because this happened to me. I grew up going to church from the start of my life, often multiple times a week, and this pattern held way through high school. I stopped going when I left the house for university, but still, pretty much that whole time, I would have said, yeah, I agree that Jesus is the Christ. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, and yet that belief impacted my life none. My life from Monday to Saturday was unchanged. My heart remained in love with all sorts of worldliness. So the kind of belief that John has in mind is more like a heartfelt, life-transforming trust than simple mental agreement. So imagine being lost at sea. Nothing surrounds you but endless ocean water. Nothing keeps you company but circling sharks. Nothing remains to give you hope for survival. And then all of a sudden on the edge of the horizon, after days of waiting, you see the faintest resemblance of a rescue boat. Now is your response simply going to be, yeah, I believe that ship is here to rescue me. No way! Your belief in that saviorship is going to change you. It is going to change your internal disposition from despair to hope. It's going to excite you on the deepest level. It's going to become the center of your affection and desire. Your trust and belief in that ship is going to transform you. Church, that's what Jesus and the apostles mean by belief and faith. We can't cheapen these words to simply mean mental agreement, even mental agreement with true statements about Jesus. It's got to be the kind of agreement, the kind of faith that relates to our hearts, not simply our thoughts. It's got to be the kind of faith that changes our lives, not simply our religious affiliation. 
How can we know that someone has been born of the Spirit? That someone from their core believes Jesus is the Christ. So friend, is this the kind of faith you have in Christ? Has your trust in the promised rescuer changed your heart? Does your belief in Jesus put Jesus at the center of your affections and hopes and desires? If so, if that's you, then you have experienced the new birth. Indeed, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. But if that's not you, if your faith in Jesus is shallow or if your faith in Jesus is non-existent at all, then I want to call you to true belief in Christ. Jesus is the one who fulfills the ancient promises in the law and prophets. Jesus demonstrated his true identity as the Christ, as the Son of God. He demonstrated his true identity through wonders and miracles and his claims to be the Christ were vindicated by his resurrection from the grave. And so I urge you, trust in him. Sink the roots of your faith in him. And if you do, then you will know that you have been born of God, born by the Spirit. Three realities that show we've been born again. Belief in Jesus And secondly, love for God's people. If you have been born of God, you will love God's children. Let's see this in the text itself. Go back to verse one. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves who has ever been born of the Father. So now John references God the Father. In other words, the one who birthed us by the Spirit. And he says, you who love the one who birthed you will also love everyone else whom he has given birth to. So he says that if we are born of God, then we will show we're born of God by loving everyone else who's been born of God. So think of it this way. I am William's dad. William is one of my sons. And because I'm William's dad, William loves me. He loves me as his father. But I am also Charlie's dad. And because William loves me, and he knows that Charlie is also my child, William also loves Charlie. William loves Charlie simply because Charlie's my child and William's my child. But if William said, well, I love you, dad, but I hate Charlie... And I would say, no way, that doesn't work. You're both my children. Any genuine love you have for me will flow through to Charlie also. And that's exactly what John said in chapter one, I'm sorry, in 1 John chapter four, verse 20. You remember this, we looked at it just a few weeks ago. John wrote, if anyone says, I love God, if anyone says, I love the Father, and yet that same person hates his brother, then that person who said, I love the father, is a liar. You don't love the father, and you haven't been born of the father if you don't love the father's children. 
So that's the connection between the two statements in chapter one, in chapter five, verse one. If you believe in Jesus Christ, then you know God has given you new birth. And that new birth puts you in the family of God, which is going to make you love the father of the family. And if you love the father of the family, you're going to love the family. So do you love the family? If you've been born into the family, you will love the family. So if you want to know if you've been born again, we must ask, do you love the family? We've been learning this last month about the love that we as disciples of Jesus ought to have for one another. Love that is expressed in action, love that is expressed in action and truth, not just talk. Do you love God's people in this way? Do you love God's people regardless of their skin color? Or will you only love people who look a certain way? Do you love God's children regardless of their maturity level? Or will you only love those who meet your standards of spiritual maturity? Do you love God's people regardless of deeply held opinions? Or will you only love those who think exactly like you do about politics? Or will you only love those people who think exactly like you do when it comes to where to send our kids to school? Who think exactly like you do when it comes to any number of topics? Brothers and sisters, the church unto eternity will be a multi-ethnic and multicultural people made up of folks from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Forever, that is who we will be. The redeemed from every tribe, tongue, and nation. As I've heard it said before, if you don't like diversity, you are not going to like heaven. So how wide and how deep and how long is your love for God's many and diverse children? Because if you've been born of God, then you love God's children. And John wants to press this point further and expand on it. So look at verses two and three. He says, by this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey God's commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep God's commandments. So in verses two and three, he almost says the inverse of what he said in verse one. In verse one, he says that everyone who has been born of God loves God's children. And now in verses two and three, he helps them understand what love for God's children look like. And he interesting says that we know we love God's children when we love God and obey God's commandments for this is the love of God that we obey his commandments. So this is a really powerful point because there's a lot of people who wanna say, look, I don't need God I don't need religion. I just want to love people. I just want to care for mankind. I just want to do good in the world. I'm not really into God or religion. But the apostle counters this mindset. 
He says, if you've been born of God, you'll love God's people. And if you love God's people, then you'll love God and obey his commandments. So this mindset that says, hey, I'm going to love people, but not really concern myself with God or his will for my life. He says, that's a broken premise. Because God is love. God is the source of love. God defines love. God exemplifies love. So when we reject the loving God's lordship over our lives, then our attempts to be loving on our own will ultimately fail. And if you study any society that has totally secularized itself, then you'll see that their ability to be a loving society quickly erodes. So the answer to our lack of love is to give our lives in obedience to the God who is love. If we love God's people, then we'll love, sorry, if we love God, then we'll love God's people. And if we love God's people, then we'll love and obey God. Those parallel truths balance one another out. How can we know we've been born again? You believe in Jesus. You love God's people. And finally, if you've been born of God, you have overcome the world. So look again at the end of verse 3, going through verse 4. The apostle writes, And God's commandments, which we are to obey if we truly love people, those commands are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. So John says there at the end of verse three, God's commands are not burdensome and his commands are not burdensome for or because everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. So in order for God's commands to not be burdensome to you, you need to have overcome the world. But why does the world need to be overcome? What's the significance of overcoming the world related to God's commandments not being burdensome. Well, here are a few things that we learn about the world as it relates to the Apostle John's writing. If we want to understand why we need to overcome the world, it'll help to understand what he means by the world. So listen to these few verses. Chapter 2, verse 16. The world stands in opposition to God and the things of the world. Chapter 5, verse 19. The world lies in the power of the evil one. Chapter 3, verse 13. The world hates followers of Jesus. Chapter 4, verse 5. The false teachers confusing Jesus' followers are from the world. Chapter 2, verse 17. The world and its desires will pass away, but the one who does God's will will last forever. So hearing these verses run down like this, it's no surprise that we need to overcome the world. And when it comes down to it, we can either love the world or the Father, but not both. They are mutually exclusive. So listen again to chapter 2, verse 15. John writes, do not love the world. Do not love the things in the world. And if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The world and its values fill us with greed and fill us with lust and fill us with arrogance and fill us with hatred. And filled with these things as we are, there's no room for the love of God. 
And so we must overcome the world. So here we come back to John's claim that God's commandments are not burdensome. But the reality is that for many people, they do feel burdensome. So where's the disconnect? The disconnect is that those people who have not overcome the world and they have not overcome the world because they have not been born of God. They still love the world. They're still filled with the world's values. And as long as I love the world and as long as I live by its values, then we'll find the ways of God oppressive, burdensome. So imagine that you love burgers and pizza and chicken wings and bacon and fries, all things greasy and delicious and wonderfully appropriate for Super Bowl Sunday afternoon. Imagine you love those things. But imagine in the course of time, perhaps unsurprisingly, filled with those things as you are, you have a heart attack. And at the hospital during recovery, this terrible, cruel person comes into the room and says, from now on, you can only eat soups, salads, and very small portions of very lean meat. Doctor's orders. What a cruel person. When you hear that, you are going to find the doctor's orders oppressive, burdensome, unrighteously discriminatory. Why? Because you love something else. You love burgers and fries and bacon, so veggies and soups and salads sound downright cruel. But that's the issue for many people who have tried to tack on the Christian life to the things they really love. They crave the world's stuff. They take pride in worldly achievement. That's what they love, but they also know that they need a little bit of God in their lives. It'll be good for them. But as we've said, God and the world, the two don't mix. And so for these people, God and his commandments and his family, it all feels burdensome, oppressive. And this is why the new birth is so amazing. When you're born of God, you overcome the world, which means the power all those worldly desires had over you, they are broken. They are stripped of their power because now at the center of your heart's affections and the object of our faith is Jesus. That's what John points to in the next verse, verses four and five. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. This is the victory that has freed us from sin's power. This is the victory that makes God's commands no longer a burden. This is the victory. Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Friend, when you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, the Son of God, the Christ, 
the Savior, the Lord, eternal, loving, gracious, righteous, devil destroyer, sin cleanser, when you believe Jesus is who he says he is, that Jesus has the power to show you the values of this world for the lie that they are, and you happily turn from them. You don't want them anymore, and all of a sudden, you're able to say, God's commands are not burdensome. His commands are bread and life, even though before those very same commands were bitter to me. Now they are my delight. Those commands that used to be perplexing and confusing to me, now they are light and life and joy to me. I mean, I can't even imagine hearing the command, no more bacon. That is forever awful, right? I don't even eat a lot of bacon, but the fact that I can eat bacon, I can't imagine that command, no more bacon. Who can live like that? And some of us are like that with our sin. We think there's no way I can walk away from my sin. I love what I'm doing. And God's commands against my sin feel like such a burden. But if something else gets a hold of your heart, if you place your faith in something more beautiful, more truthful, more glorious than your sin, then you can overcome. Then God's commands won't be a burden. They'll be a blessing. They'll be a relief. So are the desires of the flesh are the desires of the eyes and the pride of life controlling forces in your life? Are these worldly powers dominating your life? Then the apostle warns us that it may be an indication that you have not been born of God. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And so I urge you to come to Christ in humble faith. Trust him from your heart. Confess that he is Lord. Look to him as your rescuer, redeemer, savior. And if you're starting to feel your heart tugged in that direction, if you're starting to feel your heart drawn toward Christ, then know that the Spirit is working and he loves to give new life. Coronavirus may close down our movie theaters, may have kept us from seeing our loved ones as much as we'd liked. It may have kept us out of our favorite restaurants for a while, but nothing can stop the power of God in giving spiritually dead people new life. God is gracious, he is father, and he gives spiritual life freely and graciously and powerfully through the new birth. And so if you've got a hunger, if you've got a taste to experience this, I urge you to simply Call to him. Trust in Jesus. Love his people. Overcome the world. Then you will know that you have been born of God. I pray it would be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.
Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, this morning, we gladly, joyfully boast in the death of Christ. Because it's in his death that the power of sin was defeated. The power of our sin was defeated. God, we look to the cross as a sign of victory, as a sign of Satan's fate. And so, God, we pray that more and more that victory would be experienced in our lives. God, come and help us believe. Help us to trust. Help us to see Jesus more clearly for how glorious and beautiful and truthful he is that we may overcome the world. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.